Hello and welcome to Boxing and Bullshit. I'm your host, Alex Diaz. Let's go. It is Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. We had an interesting weekend. And, <laughs> man, sorry, I still got a little bit of that Rona cough. Just comes back here and there. But um, we had a, an interesting week in the sense that the biggest news, well, well two different, uh, two different, I guess, uh, news stories came out this weekend. Neither of them had anything to do with uh, actual fights that happened. So, for example, uh, the De- whole Deontay Wilder saga is just, it's ridiculous. And then we got news on Canelo, Golden Boy, and DAZN. And you can look at a few different ways. It's, you might see it as a positive, you might see it as a negative. We have uh, Terrence Crawford fighting Kel Brook this weekend. Some see it as a mismatch. We'll get into that too. Let's go. All right, so the Devin Haney fight with Yorikis Gamboa didn't really excite. And Devin Haney is only 21 years old. So a lot of people, because there's such, he has such a high ceiling, I think he's held to a different standard, obviously, than most, uh, even contenders. Because he has all the skill. He's almost exactly the same frame as Floyd Mayweather, he looks more polished than Floyd did at 21. So I think that's why people hold him in such high regard. And the fact that he did certain things um, professionally, right? So like he chose to be a free agent, uh, pretty much promote his fights. It's made it a little bit more difficult on him, but he's also like financially uh, doing better. The only problem is that all the other, con- well, which were contenders, in the same weight division, around the same age, only a couple years, or a year older than him, <coughs> excuse me, seemed to have a better resume. And this fight here essentially was there to highlight his skills and to give him, I think what they expected, a highlight real knockout. So Gervonta Davis just fought Leo Santa Cruz the week before, and he gave us pretty much the knockout of the year. And now we have Haney fighting a very chinny Yurikis Gamboa, who's two weight divisions above where he should be, or where he's looked his best. And it was a boring fight. But surprisingly, and this is what was most concerning to me, was that through the middle of the fight, Haney got touched up a little bit more than you wanted him to be. So he didn't knock out Gamboa. He didn't even drop Gamboa. But on top of that, in some rounds, he was getting touched. And he had all the advantages on his side. So that that's what, to me, just made it a little bit... Um, I, I can't even say concerning. I think I think Devin really just was like, man, this guy doesn't fucking belong in the ring with me. But I really hoped that he'd make a statement so that he'd be that much closer. I mean, he's with DAZN, so he'd be that much closer to getting the Ryan Garcia fight. Right, so let's say Ryan Garcia, and we'll get into that too, and more fucking bad news for DAZN. Um, that would be a fight, I think, that would highlight um, most of... Um, that would be a, that'd be a fight that would highlight, I think, the two youngest prospects, you know, in, in boxing. 
So it's just, I think it, it makes a lot of sense to make a fight like that. It makes huge sense to make a fight like that. Um, but I, I think, uh, I think both fighters, um, right now are on a little bit different paths. So we got three different, (laughs) we got, we got bad news this week. Um, one of them that I uh, just kind of bugged me is just, uh, so Luke Campbell, uh, got COVID and the Ryan Garcia fight on December 5th is going to have to get pushed back. That fight is one of the most exciting fights for me, just in the sense that we're going to see what Garcia is really made out of because Luke Campbell's a gold medalist and he's not a fucking pushover. He did give Lomachenko trouble. He did give Linares trouble. I expect him to give Ryan Garcia lots of trouble. I, I'm not sure that Garcia is going to look as good as he's looked against, you know, Romero Duno and some of these other fights. Like, it's going to be a completely different type of fight because Luke can fucking box. And I really think that he's going to try and just outbox Ryan Garcia. It's not. I don't think it's going to be a war. I don't think it's going to be. I think he's literally tr- going to try and go in there and school him. It makes it interesting because you're going to see, you're going to have to see the development, right? Because we keep hearing about, yeah, you know, he's had these great camps with the Reynosos. Um, he's in there with Canelo. Like, he, he's learning from him. He's, he's becoming so much better. They're fixing some of, like, his deficiencies. Not backing up with his chin full, like, in the air. Um, but we haven't really seen progress in the sense that his fights are ending so early that we're not seeing him challenged. And Luke Campbell, I think, is the perfect fighter to do so. And unfortunately, it's not going to happen on December 5th. So that that that's kind of a... That's pretty much a bummer. Um, hopefully, they get them in there as soon as they can. Because I really think that's... Well, it's, uh, it'd be the... Okay, so um, we had Teo uh, beating Loma. Then we had Gervonta, highlight knockout of the year. And then we had Devin Haney pretty much pitch a shutout against Uriarcus Gamboa, even though he didn't look spectacular. So if Ryan manages to beat Luke and somehow look good doing it, it's going to be Teo, Tank, Ryan, and then Haney. So this fight is extremely important, I think, for his markability and for who he's going to end up fighting next. Because I'd love to see him fight Luke and then preferably right after him fighting Jorge Linares. I, I really think that's the, bet, the best bet in their development plan because we have to see him get hit by someone who can actually hurt him. For his development, it's extremely important that we're able to see how he can hang in there with someone that can actually punch and has somewhat similar speed to him. And Linares would be the perfect fighter to display that. Depending on how you look at it, Canelo, <coughs> excuse me, Golden Boy and the Zone, it's a breakup. For me, personally, the negative, and the reason I said it was bad news, is because I actually liked, I mean, I was grandfathered into the $10 a month with the Zone. So for me to watch what I would consider a pay-per-view caliber fight for 10 and for some people, $15 a month, is a win-win. That, that's perfect for me. You're seeing, so you saw a tank on pay-per-view. You're going to see 
Errol Spence Jr. on pay-per-view. If Fury happens to fight, anyone, it's more than likely going to be pay-per-view. You know what I mean? Deontay Wilder, if he fights, someone's going to be on pay-per-view. A lot of these fights, uh, the Charlos, their fight was the pay-per-view. So a lot of these fights aren't on terrestrial TV. They're not even on premium networks anymore. They're all moving over to pay-per-view because of the fact that there's, it's just not within budget. So for me, you know, paying monthly for DAZN, you know, getting to see Virgil Ortiz fight, getting to see Ryan Garcia fight, getting to see Devin Haney fight, seeing Joshua, you know, like all that <laughs> was, you know, it, it allowed me to order the pay-per-views and not really, um, have to worry about it because I'm, I'm, you know, I get plenty of other fights, you know, I pay, you know, for ESPN plus I pay, you know, like it, it's just, it worked out best for me, but here's another thing though. Now we're going to be able to see if Canelo's really going to fight, you know, guys that are aligned with either top rank with Al Heyman. There's all the rumors is that he was trying to close in on a deal uh, for December 19th against Caleb Plant. From my understanding, Caleb Plant's been offered the fight two different times. But um, I just, uh, on the newswire right now, just saw that uh, Mike Coppinger said that that fight's pretty much dead, at least for that date, only because they don't feel like there's enough uh, time to promote the fight to maximize revenue, which uh, obviously is incredibly important. (laughs) But Canelo being a free agent, and part of me thinks that not just PBC, but I really think that the best network for him to try and align himself with would be Showtime. Because Showtime did give Floyd a ridiculous amount of money. And I think that if they throw, let's say, you know, $15, $18 million guaranteed with the higher percentage of pay-per-view along with him self-promoting the fights, you know, his whole Canelo promotions and whatever the fuck, um, would probably get him somewhere near whatever he was making at DAZN. He may not make 36 point five million dollars per fight but at least he'll be making enough money to where it'll be close to it during a pandemic i think shortly after the pandemic once we're allowed to actually go watch fights uh, live i think he'll i think he'll get to you know obviously uh the 30 35 million dollars 25 million dollars 20 million dollars right now isn't so bad but it's like, who's he going to fight? You know, you got, <coughs> excuse me, you got Jermall. I, I I don't see him fighting anyone that's uh, aligned with Eddie Hearn now. As far as like uh, Bubu Andre, um, anyone really with Matchroom. Because I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how the money would work out with the zone. Um, but I really think that him going to Showtime would benefit him a lot. Because I think he'd be able to, you know, the Jermall Charlos, the Caleb Plants, the David Benavides of the world. Those are the, like... Those are the fighters. Fighting those three fighters alone, I think, would be such a challenge that I would. I don't think I could guarantee that Canelo would beat all three. I think Benavidez hits too fucking hard. I think Canelo wanting to fight Caleb Plant. Man, Plant is a motherfucker. I've seen that dude live when he fought with Scott Dickey, and he is a fucking terror. Because in that fight, he showed... That it wasn't just his counter punching, but when he gets aggressive, 
he's extremely talented. His punch combinations, his feints, the lateral movement, the way he essentially can pick opponents apart was really impressive. So I, I, I've heard people say, ah, oh, plant, he's, you know, like, he's like whatever. No, he's not whatever. That dude is extremely talented, and I'd love, love, love to watch that fight. The only issue would be with that fight is that I think most people that aren't boxing purists would consider it boring because I think both of them would end up countering each other. There would they would they would only counter each other. That's all they would do. I think it would be just pretty much a battle of the minds. Then you can't tell me that a Jermall Charlo Canelo Alvarez fight wouldn't be extremely lucrative. I think with um, the right kind of promotion. It probably it'd probably be the biggest fight of the year next year. I think um that fight along with either a Joshua Fury or Fury Wilder, uh Joshua Joshua Wilder would be I think the just those are fights I think that would grab the crowd's attention. I I think the casuals, people that don't watch boxing already I think um there are certain types of fights that transcend just because of talent alone just I think because of how different fighters are so <laughs> you know uh both Jermel and Jermall they have a certain swagger to them um they're you know dudes that you look at them, they they look like superstars, right? They have the swagger, the way they carry themselves. When you see them in the ring, man, their their pay-per-view, you saw them both step up and you saw them take one inch closer, one step closer to becoming genuine superstars. Uh, Jermall being um, Derevchenko, it, he's, he's becoming what you want him to be. He was... The mandatory for both Canelo and Triple G, and now he's becoming his own star, right? He's he's not riding anybody's coattails. He's really, I think, in about a year, gonna have that type of allure that makes the public want to watch him. Because while their pay per view didn't do so well financially, I mean, we're in a pandemic. Both of those kids have plenty of skill. I think um I think I think Jermall poses plenty of problems for Canelo. His speed, his, even his uh, aggressiveness at times is it's impressive. And the one thing people I don't think talk too much about is that the dude's got like a pretty legit fucking chin. So far, he's got a chin. And on top of that, I think he'd have to move up to 168. To fight Canelo, and I, I, I believe around uh, six foot one. I don't think I don't think it's gonna be a problem. So I, I just they're <coughs> both Jamal and Jamal have big frames. Adding weight to them should be no issue whatsoever. The, I, I think that I think Al Heyman and. Canelo's people definitely could make that fight. One of the, I, I think they could sell a million pay per views. I I don't have a doubt in my mind that they that that's the type of fight that that would be. 
I think that's the kind of fight that hopefully next year when all this, or at least whenever all this COVID shit blows over, I think that's the type of fight in the super middleweight or middleweight division that I think would just be an event. It, it, it's not, it wouldn't just be a fight. I think that would make everyone just voluntarily just give away their $74.99, $80 for the pay-per-view. Because I, I think per skill, they're quite even. I know some people have complained about the Charles being a little bit too robotic, whatever. Um, you know, pretty much just one, twos, one, twos, one. No, man. Canelo, I think, will struggle in trying to counter someone who I believe is quicker than him, taller than him, and I think has the basic fundamentals that he's not accustomed to fighting. I think uh, someone like Triple G, someone like Kovalev, I think some of the wins that Canelo has, if he managed to beat Charlo, I think that fight would, I think, stand out a little bit more. Just because while Charlo hasn't had the greatest of resumes, the talent's there. And now that he's finally facing tougher opposition, I think that kind of fight would, I think, stand out a little bit more. Um, dude, as, as far as him fighting David Benavidez, I think that would be the last fight um, he would want to have against the 168 pounders that are at PBC. I think David Benavidez's size, his power, his combinations, and his aggressiveness. I'm not sure Canelo's big enough to face off with someone that young and that powerful at this time. I think um, I think Benavides poses a completely different type of challenge than Plant and Charlo do. Only because he steamrolls people. He like literally just walks through motherfuckers and is like, I'm going to rip your head off. So far, he's having a, you know, a great career doing so. And I think he's just chopping at the bit of trying to get a fight himself with Caleb Plant and the elite of the division. And I think Canelo being the biggest name in boxing, I think that I I see Benavidez one like I, he's already posted things on social media as far as like a matchup between them, um, some post you know some fake posters and stuff like that. So I, I really think that Benavidez would be the last person we'd want, or at least Canelo's people would want to face, at least at one sixty eight that uh, that's aligned with PBC. But I think that'd be the most exciting. So this past weekend, we saw Luis Ortiz at uh, 73 years old <laughs> win a fight against Alexander Flores uh, within 45 seconds due to a punch that didn't look like it did any real damage or even landed. I think the claim was that uh, Ortiz's bicep hit Flores's chin somehow and disoriented him somehow and it looks like Flores just pretty much took a dive so now the state uh, athletic commission's 
withholding Flores's paycheck and his purse for his fight. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what the fuck happened. It it, it doesn't look so good. It, it I'm, I think he uh, I think he earned eighty or eighty five thousand dollars for the fight, and he just um. I think he made eighty five thousand dollars in forty five seconds, and did so willingly by falling down as soon as anything landed. And then I think that he didn't really feel like trying and figured, hey, it'd be an easy night. You know what I mean? I, if I, shit, if I could make $85,000 in 45 seconds, yeah, fuck yeah, I mean, I might do the same shit. But as far as the integrity of the sport, it, it just it didn't look like the type of punch that should end a fight. And it's the most one of the most bizarre KOs that I've seen due to a punch landing. It it it, it doesn't look right, man. I think um I think the commission's gonna hold on to his purse for a little bit and I I think you know, they, they might even follow up. I'm not sure that they'll follow up with a suspension. I think it's it's kinda hard to prove, but I think dude really wasn't trying. And I, I'm not sure if this is supposed to lead to like some type of big fight for Luis Ortiz because you know you have the announcers pretty much telling you, oh, like he's still in the hunt, he's still this, he's still that. Maybe we'll have a Wilder trilogy. Maybe he'll fight Andy Andy Ruiz. Like it, oh, man. There was a time when Luis Ortiz was legit the boogeyman of the heavyweight division. He was a gold medalist Cuban fucking monster but man he he's a old cat and you could see that his skills are not the same he doesn't punch the same reflexes seem to be a bit slower his punches themselves seem to be slower i think even some some of the fundamentals aren't uh the same it, it's just due to the age i think every much everyone pretty much held off from fighting him until you start to see you know some a little bit of wear and tear and after, I mean, after the first loss to Deontay Wilder, it just, he didn't look the same. Um, in the rematch, he was kind of schooling. He was, I mean, he was winning pretty much every single round until the right hand landed. But against lower opposition, you, you could, he, he, it's not the same King Kong, man. And it's a shame because I, he had a, he could have had what we would have called a great career had the legitimate top three, four heavyweights have fought him six years ago, you know, eight years ago. That That's how old he is. That, you know, that's that was his prime. And now I think he's just pretty much going to be the sacrificial lamb for, you know, any, any of these young heavyweights. Um, I'm not sure how a fight with him and like uh, Kanaki would look because uh, Adam Kanaki's like be getting knocked out by Robert Hellenius. Heavyweight right now is just there's three really good fighters at the top, and then it seems like a huge drop off. 
And the only one that's really like exciting to watch that's young and up and coming is uh, Duba. So is other than him, I mean, he's going to beat the fuck out of Joe Joyce. Uh, Andy Ruiz, he's, I don't, I'm not, I'm not excited to see him fight. Um, I, I just, I don't think that, uh, he has the hunger or drive to really do anything. I think, uh, Hellenius is way past his prime. I think Autumn Kanaki's been in so many goddamn wars that he just can't, he can't do anything like us. I mean, he, his chin just, I mean, holy fuck, dude. Hellenius just was beating the fuck out of him. I don't, I don't see him like recovering from that and, and being like a huge deal. It, Fury, Wilder, and Joshua, those three names. Hopefully, you know they they get a mix and match, and we get to see get to see what happens. But man, this is lit. This is becoming. The anti-fucking Deontay Wilder podcast. That's not what I wanted to be. I've always, I've been a big fan of Wilder, but holy fuck, dude. Every single week, there's a new excuse. Every single week, there's some bullshit. He's bought into the whole, just, he's bought into this whole LDBC fucking bullshit he lost because of every other reason than him actually being beaten fair and square. And he's come out with fucking hype train videos and he's pointing finger. He's pointing fingers at his own camp at now. He's saying that Tyson Fury is running from him. So it it's, it's insane. It's a huge fucking mess with Deontay Wilder. I'm not exactly sure what the fuck his people think. What they're they're clamoring for a third fight with Tyson Fury and now calling him a coward that he needs to give him the third fight. Um because Wilder gave uh Tyson Fury a chance and then they had a rematch and that they have a rematch clause for the trilogy. So, Tyson Fury, in my opinion, I think in the opinion of most fighters, won the first fight. And then he easily won the second fight. And then was willing to fight a third. I think originally scheduled for July, but this whole pandemic happened. Then it got pushed back to October because Deontay Wilder suffered somewhat of an injury, right? And then it got pushed back again to November. And then again to December 19th. And then for whatever reason, Walder's camp wanted to push it back to February. At this point, Tyson Fury, top rank, MTK Global, they're like, man, fuck this. We, we're not going to wait. We need to fight someone. We need to stay active. We're going to go ahead. We've we've given you the time that you need. And we're going to go ahead and move forward and fight someone else. <sighs> Every single week, Deontay Wilder comes up with an excuse as to why he lost. 
and none of the blame is on him. It's on Mark Breland for allegedly spiking his water, which is ridiculous. Mark Breland being a gold medalist and two-time, two-time world champion has, I think, earned enough respect in boxing that it's just it's a ridiculous statement to make. No one believes it. His suit weighing too much. Um, Tyson loading up his gloves. Tyson rearranging his gloves. Tyson using an egg weight to dent a hole inside of Deontay Wilder's head. It it's ridiculous. But here's the thing: is that I they moved forward and are arguing and trying to litigate so that they get the trilogy. But from my understanding, so the fight was meant, the fight was meant to be uh, last year. So the, the first fight was this year in February. Um, apparently, they had a rematch clause saying that within six months, they would have to they would be able to enforce uh, the rematch clause, right? So uh, the trilogy, the third fight. It's already November. And Wilder's camp has continuously pushed the fight back. It's not that Fury wanted to fight in October. It's not that Fury wanted to fight in November, December, and it's not top rank in Fury that's trying to move the fight to next year in February. You had six months, man. You didn't say anything until the end of October when you pretty much just started just repeating all the claims that your you know fanboys have been pushing on social media he wilder could have had the fight this this fight could have happened this month but that's not when they wanted it how do you stop another fighter from pretty much fighting all year just because you want to continuously push the fight back it doesn't make any sense and now that they've moved on and that they have an opponent for December. Now you want to start saying that you deserve the the trilogy and that he's a sissy and he's being a pussy and trying to move forward. No, man, he's he's trying to stay active. He's doing what fighters do, fight. It, it it's too much. I genuinely think that there's something I'm not, uh, emotionally uh, damaged uh, with Deontay Wilder because he has not taken the loss very well. It, you've got fellow fighters calling him out. Just saying, man, dude, just accept the loss. Accept the loss, get better, come back, get that fight. You have Tyson Fury here moving forward, setting a date to fight, and then I guess on on terms, has already agreed <coughs> for a two-fight deal with uh, Anthony Joshua. And and uh, according to Eddie Hearn and his people, along with Top Rank and Fury's people, pretty much saying that they'll have that pretty much signed and delivered after having to sit down for around 15 minutes. Because I think everything's going to be com- completely split down the middle. So I, I just I think that Deontay Wilder doesn't want to see himself as an odd man out, and I think he's grasping at straws 
hoping that he can get this third fight on his terms once now that he feels that he'll be able to be <coughs> excuse me <coughs> Tyson Fury so it, it's just uh, we've waited too too long and to tell you the truth I think a fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury and or Anthony Josh was always going to be exciting but I really do think that Wilder's people need to build him up so that he looks like the Deontay Wilder that was steamrolling the heavyweight division. It's the, I think for him to beat Fury, he's going to have to start looking like the fighter that he did three years ago. But by saying all this ridiculous shit, man, you're not, you're not doing yourself any favors. Take the loss. Work your ass off in the gym. Either lose weight because you look better when you were thinner. And then just <laughs> do what you got to do. I, I Now you have Tyson Fury saying, hey, I'm never going to give this motherfucker a fight after all the bullshit that he's been saying about me. Call, <laughs> calling me a cheater. You know, saying that I did all this shit. That I got the commission involved and they helped me cheat and all this shit. It, I, I think for his character, I think it's... It would, it would bother me. So I... I don't think Fury's wrong in saying that he wouldn't want to give Walter the trilogy just on the basis of character. This weekend's welterweight matchup could very well be the very the best welterweight fight if it happened to have happened five years ago. So we have Terrence Bud Crawford fighting Kel Brook. A Kel Brook who's had both eyes beat up by Golovkin and Errol Spence. A Kel Brook who had a bit of a hiatus in the layoff and came back and didn't look very good. It doesn't make sense to me that this could possibly be Terrence Crawford's most difficult fight. Uh, difficult may be the wrong word to use. I think you might want to say that this could be the biggest name on his resume. And it's a shame because Terrence Crawford has maybe the most grit, the most dog in him of any of the welterweights and probably most fighters in any weight division. If you want to make a fight with Terrence Crawford, he will dig down and beat the fuck out of you. The difference is that he's fighting an opponent who hasn't looked so great and could have been considered maybe the best welterweight it has to be like five years ago since he beat uh, Sean Porter. So Kelbrook hasn't been Kelbrook in years. Jumping up and fighting Gennady Golovkin, I think, was a huge mistake. But it was a win-win situation, just in the sense that you're like, oh shit, he's here's a welterweight moving up to 160 to fight the biggest puncher, 
with the highest the, the highest uh, knockout percentage it, heavy uh, middleweight's ever seen. So okay, he lost that fight, but you understood he shouldn't have been in that weight class. Then instead of coming back and fighting at one fifty four, he comes back. He fights at one forty seven to hold to try and hold and retain his title against Errol Spence, and Errol Spence ends up stopping him, busting up his other eye. Then he had nowhere to go. He takes a bit of a break, comes back. Not the same Kel Brook, man. It's not. And now for him having a fight against a person that a lot of boxing fans believe to be the very best pound for pound, the most talented fighter in the world. He's going to put up a better fight than Amir Khan did. But that's a pretty it's a pretty low bar to set. <laughs> I think eventually Crawford's just gonna break him down. I think Crawford around the seventh is just I think he's just gonna test him little by little, and I think by the seventh, he should have him out of there. It Kelbrook at one point was an was a very talented, big, menacing multiweight. That's no longer the case. He he's he's a shell of himself, and I think this fight's going to show it. I don't understand why people believe that Terence Crawford is a pound for pound fighter, or at least the very best pound for pound fighter, just because of his resume. Errol Spence is going to fight Danny Garcia, December fifth, I believe. And he, if he wins that fight, there's no doubt in my mind that he belongs at a higher position in the pound-for-pound rankings. He has a significantly better resume at welterweight than Terrence Crawford does, but he has a better resume than him overall. Even though Terrence unified 140, man, he... He's beat fighters whom he should have. I mean, Gamboa, right? Is the biggest name up till now. A 126-pound fighter at 130, 135 is the best fighter who Terrence Crawford is. It, it just, come on, man. He's too fucking good for top rank to have mismanaged his career or to his, like to have specifically gone out of their way to not make big fights. Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford is a fight to make. The issue is, has Terrence Crawford pushed his people, his camp, his manager, his promoter to make the fights with Al Heyman against either Danny Garcia, a Sean, because he, he has avoided uh, fighting Sean Porter, right? Because they're friends or because they've met before, because they've been cool before. While Sean Porter said that he'd be willing to take that fight, but they've never even fighting Errol Spence would have been the big money fight. Terence Crawford, when he was with uh, was he like uh, a couple of years ago, was trying to make the Manny Pacquiao fight happen. Manny Pacquiao didn't seem to have an interest in that fight. Manny Pacquiao still beating fighters, whom we hope Terence Crawford would fight. Right, so Manny Pacquiao beating Keith Thurman 
it should have been Terrence Crawford taking the fight like that. It, it just seems like a waste of talent because Terrence Crawford isn't getting any younger. And if he doesn't leave top rank soon, I'm not certain we'll ever get to see him against the elite. And he, he seemed quite comfortable in the type of opponents that he's had. And I know he before he's shown some frustration and not getting these big fights and not getting these crossover bouts. But fuck, man, like... We have so many talented welterweights that fighting Kilbrook to me just doesn't make sense because it's just going to be another. It's going to be he's a fourteen to one favorite. No one's it, no one's expecting. I think this fight to be competitive whatsoever. It might be competitive for like two three rounds, and then it's just going to be a straight white belt. We need to see Terrence Crawford fight elite fighters. We need to see Terrence Crawford tested. He's too good of a fucking fighter to watch him fight guys who are 14 to 1 underdog. It just doesn't make sense. He ha- he. There's a grit to him that makes so many people believe that he would have been a champion regardless of whatever era he fought in. Not because of skill, not just because of skill, but because he bites down and he's like, man, fuck this. Like, you, someone touches me up, I'm a, I'm a run through them. I'm a dog. I'm a, I'm a fuck this fool up. But he's got the skills to match. That, that that's, he should have been a pay per view star by now. He sells out the arenas where he's from. I get it. Okay, we get, we're going through a pandemic, but fuck, man, like it doesn't mean that the fighters you're going to face have to be on the lower echelon of the division or fighters that should have probably retired already. Cuz the only fight for this, uh, only fight for Kilbrook after this might be an Amir Khan fight just because the Brits want to have wanted to see them for years. But what what has top rank done for him? I genuinely feel like they've sidelined his career by giving them these bullshit fights, by not working along with Al Heyman, by shit, or try and figure something out with Golden Boy. Like try. There's so many fights that can be made. Terrence Crawford, Jose Ramirez, Terrence Crawford, Josh Taylor, Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence. Terrence Crawford, Danny Garcia, Dan- there, there's fights. The Sean Porter fight seems interesting. There's just so many different styles that we haven't seen him fight against because he's been fighting guys that don't have aren't anywhere near him as far as level of talent. I, I'd like to see Terrence Crawford against a slick American boxer. That we just haven't seen it. Thank you for listening to Boxing Bullshit. I'm your host, Alex Diaz. Very thankful for anyone who likes, listens, subscribes, and shares the podcast. It's always a pleasure doing the podcast. It's, you know, I have a lot more listeners than I ever expected. And I'm just, I'm really thankful for everybody. So thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Hopefully we get some good fights. Hopefully they're not the mismatches we expect them to be. Have a great night.